This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to another episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn here for uh, August 2019. I have been up and down the East Coast heading out to shows, seeing Brian Adams, Billy Idols, Heavy Montreal, Oceag, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, did a lot of it with a buddy of mine named Jeremy White, who works at the uh, Beat 92.5 in Montreal. And, you know, I have got to get him on this show because he does probably the best Paul Stanley imitation you have ever heard. And he only tops it, perhaps, with his David Coverdale um, imitation. So... We, you know what? I got to get Jeremy on here to to, uh, to have a a chat with you know um, Jeremy Stanley and uh, Jeremy Coverdale. I think that would be absolutely spectacular. Uh, and I'm telling you, y- you would die laughing. Anyway, uh, we saw a bunch of shows, including, uh, like I said, Heavy Montreal. And at Heavy Montreal, I had a chance to sit down with a bunch of different artists, including. Godsmack. And so uh, today I'm going to give you uh, Shannon Larkin, the drummer for the band. They have uh, a new album out. Well, new album. It came out last year. It's called When Legends Arise. We we revisit that a little bit and we talk about when can we expect new music from the band. But um, the last time I interviewed Shannon, we, we had this discussion about does Godsmack use backing tracks? And as I was sitting on the bus in heavy Montreal, before we got the tape rolling, we started talking about it again. And then we said, hey, you know what, Let, let's just turn on the tape and let's let's start recording. Because the conversation was really good. I was like, man, this is great content. Why are we not capturing this? Anyway, so so we, we go straight into the interview discussing uh, backing tracks, which I find to be an, an incredibly fascinating topic because... Um, you know, there are, and we've, we, you've heard me talk about this before, but there are moments in time where a backing track is essential. And I think Metallica does it right. You know, when you, when you hear the intro tape for one, for example, you know, the machine guns and all, you know, it's a tape, you know, the band's not playing that and, and the band doesn't hide the fact. And in fact, there are many other songs in the Metallica set list or songs that appear in the Metallica, Metallica set list from time to time where the band is completely not on stage and there's music playing and it's very obvious that a tape is running. So, you know, I, I'm good with that. That's that's not a problem. It's 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 perhaps the cheating that, that gets me, you know, where you go and you think, hey, that guy is singing so great tonight. And then you find out that it was some guy in the back pushing a button to have the vocals come out. Anyway, uh, I don't want to get back on this topic. Um, the other thing that I found interesting about Shannon and most drummers that I talk to, in fact, I, I would say probably 95% of the drummers I talk to, you'll always hear them sort of doing this. And you're going, well, they have this tendency to always have their hands going and always tapping the the, the table counters and, and the... And so d- during the Shannon interview, you'll hear it, uh, not in any kind of way that's, that's disturbing or bothering, but, but every so often you'll hear these taps and you'll go, well, what is that? Well, I guess, you know, as, as drummers do, they, they have their hands going, they, they, they got to move, they got to move. And, uh, you know, on um, August 6th, uh, I was down in Syracuse and I interviewed Mickey Curry of uh, Brian Adams' band. 
the return of Mickey Curry, because I've, I've already done one interview with him. This time we, we covered topics like Live Aid and stuff like that, you know, what it was like playing Live Aid. And he did the same thing. He was tapping away, tapping away. And so, you know, in fact, what I'll do is I'll just put that one up tomorrow. I'll, I'll skip it ahead of the line and just get it. So, so you'll have these sort of A, B or back-to-back drummer interviews where you'll hear them tap, tap, tapping away. It, it, it's fascinating. Um, I don't know if it's a muscle memory thing or, or if it's a, a brain thing, but, but drummers do that. And, and, uh, I, listen, in no way, shape or form am I saying that's bad or wrong or it, it's just something I've noticed. Whoever I interview that, that's a drummer when it's in person, they're tap, tap, tapping away the, which is, which is cool. You know, uh, anyway, so let us get over here to, um, Godsmack and Shannon Larkin, who, um, as one fan described on Twitter when I mentioned Shannon, he said, he's a effing beast of a drummer. And uh, you know what? I'm going to have to agree. And so, um, you know, uh, anyway, head over to uh, loudtracks.com forward slash Mitch. Pick up a t-shirt and uh, keep looking because in the next uh, little bit, there will be hoodies. We're heading into the fall season, September, October. It's going to get a little chilly, maybe at night. And you'll need a hoodie. And why not get a hoodie that says Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn on it? I think it's a delightful idea, quite frankly. Um, and uh, I will work on on my end on getting uh, Jeremy White to do his uh, Jeremy Stanley and uh, Jeremy Coverdale imitations on air. Where everybody can uh, enjoy the brilliance of, um, of, well, Montreal's number one on-air personality. There you go. Yeah, he's no slouch, let me tell you. Anyway, uh, speaking of no slouches, here is uh, the one, uh, the only, and for you, Steve Brown, the mighty Shannon Larkin. We are here at Heavy Montreal with uh, Shannon from uh, Godsmack. A pleasure to sit. Pleasure to talk to you again. It's nice to see you, man. Yeah. So the last time we spoke, uh, we were talking about use, the use of backing tracks at the uh, on the shows, and you said you only use two. Um, is that something that you might want to reconsider down the road to have a bigger production or is it more about just getting straight in there and pedal to the metal? Let's give them a real show. Yeah, well, it's more about like our whole history and past and we've always been like a real old school kind of rock band. And, you know, when the tracks and stuff started happening, God, it's probably been, you know, 10, 10 years or so. Remember the first time I really saw it was a band Evanescence, you know, who are here tonight. Yeah, and they're awesome, by the way. I love them, and, and they're all great people and, and a great band. But that's when I, I was watching on the monitor. We were in Japan, and we had gone out and seen them. And I saw all these lights going on, and the monitor guy was explaining to me those were the tracks that they're running, right? And then later on, there was a show we played, and the original guitar player, Ben, the guy that was the main songwriter in the band, wrote the, that, most of that first record, uh, he had walked back to his amp while they were on stage and picked up the phone and picked it up on stage and i thought it was the funniest thing and i know i knew ben and so after the show i'm like dude you took a call on stage he said oh it was my dad i had to answer it and but the funny thing was when he stopped playing and right in the middle of the song he picked up the thing and he said i can't talk right now i'm on stage he stopped playing and the guitar was still happening and i'd never seen that before i'm like what's that and that's when i learned about oh you can run tracks and the drummer has to play to a click which 
you know, I'm, I'm, That's not you. I, I, and I've, you know, I've been in this business 36 years. I've made 30 albums, whatever. So I've used Click all the time. I'm a pro at it. But live, it's just not, doesn't feel right, you know, to me. And, you know, so anyway, flash forward to this new record in which we used a lot of synthesized sounds and, you know, new producers, stuff we'd never done before. And we realized, wow, we don't, we don't have the live people on stage to make this. So, we experimented with tracks. So at first we jumped head into it, man, and we got the whole, rig. the whole rig and spent all this money on this whole rig. And we played literally two shows before Sully came and said, dudes, this isn't us, you know. And we did keep it in two of the songs. Simply Unforgettable has this, like, we got this uh, child chorus uh, from this middle school in. And so we thought that that should be in the song. So that's what you hear on that one. And then in Bulletproof, there's a, a bass synthesizer thing that happens that we thought, you know, would enhance the song. So those two songs, you know, we figured, you know, that, that to make it sound most like the record in full like that. But every other thing, and we used it, we tried to do it the whole concert, but every song got thrown out. So we're back to being ourselves <laughs> real band uh let, let's talk about this you mentioned 30 albums a long career you started somewhere around 77 78 with wrath child america well, how is it different coming into an established band as as opposed to trying to make it on your own and creating your own thing with your own band it's a completely different environment i mean you know uh any musician will tell you it's this this is it's just as hard as making it as a, a basketball or football player or, you know and being a musician less than one percent of us ever have any kind of real success you know and so i struggled man i made 20 records before i even joined godsmack with three different bands and session amen wrathchild you know ugly yeah candlebox uh, it just that was that was a touring gig I did, but session work with Glassjaw and Vanilla Ice and Doug Bennett from King's X, a bunch of work that I was doing. And uh, so to get the call from from these guys and Godsmack, it, it just changed my whole life as a musician. All of a sudden, here it is. I joined a successful thing. You know that that uh, hey, the next record could have flopped and, and we could have not been successful. But at the time, I was like, I finally got to where. I dreamed of getting in my whole life since I was 12 years old. Is it rewarding that you got to this point, or was it disappointing that you couldn't make it with your own thing? No, you know, it was rewarding because, you know, none of none of the band things that I ever did was my own thing. Right. Like, well, even, though, even though Wrathchild was my band, it was still, we were a four-piece, so it was all four of ours. And we had, you know, toured in a band together for six years before we even got signed. So... It became a, a, a group thing, you know. That's why you can be a solo artist if you want, or you can be in a band. But if you're being in a band, then then everything kind of the good and the bad it reflects on everybody, not just one guy. Right. And so, you know, yeah, coming into Godsmack was a, a complete departure from anything I'd ever done. On the on the drumming side, when you come in and there's been an established catalog and fans know the songs, they know the parts, they know the lyrics, they know where that little ping goes in the guitar, drumming-wise, do you come in and say, listen, I'm just me and I'm going to do my thing? Or do you sort of take the time to study the original and say, okay, those songs, I got a copy? 
No, I played exactly like the records. Okay. Even though the first two that Sully played on, I play them exactly like he played them because I feel that, that uh, I've always felt when I'd go see live bands and being a, a young drummer at the time, I'd go see you know, Rush or everybody, Judas Priest, whoever I saw. I would learn the, the song. That's how I learned, taught myself how to be a musician was by learning from these bands that, that influenced me. And so when I'd go to the show and they didn't play it like I'd learned it meticulously, it bummed me out. So the bands that I go see that the, that the drummer would play it exactly like the record were the, my favorite bands. So I am that guy. I play it just like the record. There's a little bit of uh, improv that you can do if you're having a hot night. I might add, add an extra fill in and look at my drum tech. God, you hear that? You know what I mean? But for the most part, for the fans, I try and play it exactly like the record. So when you get to making your own albums with the band, like When Legend Rise, what do you sort of want to bring to the sound? Do you want to sort of show them what you've got or say, listen, this is the Godsmack sound. We want to stay in that pocket. Yeah, all the showing them what I've got went out after Wrathchild. Right. And, and in the days of Wrathchild and in the, uh, the advent from the 70s moving into the 80s, uh, early 80s came, you know, people... Real quickly, I'll, I'll go back to what irritates me about people is saying that 80s music sucks. When in the 80s, listen, there was a lot of popular music that did suck in the 80s with, with uh, New Wave. Some of the New Wave stuff was just pre-processed. You know what I mean? Simon drums, whatever they were. Yes, and, and that kind of thing. But punk rock, hardcore punk, hardcore thrash, and metal, thrash metal was invented in the 80s. And as a, a young kid, that's what I gravitated towards, you know. And so I think that, you know, it, I get, at that time, especially with thrash metal as a drummer, a young drummer, that was like the hardest drums to play. So I tried to, you know, I tried to learn everything from the Metallica and Slayer and Venom and all those early bands that I loved. And it was about drums to me. And so when Wrathchild made records, I was trying to write the most badass intricate hard drum parts that i could and it was about me and i was like i want to be this famous drummer man it was a a, a dream i had but when i joined ugly kid joe mm -hmm. and dave fortman those guys taught me to play for the song and so it became less about what people are going to think about my drumming as opposed to is this song going to you know touch people and be a hit and 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 you know grow the band to this next level and, you know, all, all the while I'm thinking I'm on my way to being a rock star, which was my dream from the age of eight years old, you know. And so they helped me so much as far as not thinking about drums. Now, coming to your question of Godsmack, from Ugly Kid Joe, I learned to play for the song. And my ego... It's the most important thing, really. Which is the most important thing. And my ego, you know, about being the, the raddest drummer on the planet went away because now I... I was maturing as a musician, and I was starting in Ugly Kid Joe is when I started to learn how to play the bass enough to write music, you know, where in Wrathchild I wrote lyrics and, and would help arrange and put songs together, and I had all these ideas, but I, I, couldn't, I couldn't write actual music because I didn't play a stringed instrument. So Ugly Kid Joe and Dave Fortman was huge in saying, you got to learn how to play something if you want to write songs, you know. And so uh, I got started becoming a songwriter also in Ugly Kid Joe. And so that even though I didn't write one song on this last Godsmack record because we tried something different, Sully Road with other people and all that, 
it's still translated to me when I'm in the studio to play for the song, whether I wrote it or not, you know. And session work helped me a lot in that. In the, in the mid-90s, when I was doing a lot of session work, you're in there, there's a producer and the artist, and they're telling you what they want, and so your job's to play it exactly like they want it. So you have to crush your ego before you're walking in that door. You're there as a session session player. You're so, paint the plug. Yep. And so a lot of that carried over into the band Gosmack, which I am, it's part of, I'm one-fourth of it. It's part of my band. It's part of me now. But uh, the ego is still... Has been crushed, and I'm and I'm in my fifties, you know. So I don't care so much. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I wish. I mean, I wished when I was a kid that wow, I'll still be in a band and playing rock and roll music when I'm fifty. And so that happened, and a lot of it is attributed to the fact that I crushed my ego a long time ago. And so when Sully says, "Hey, play it just like this," I don't go, "Oh, this is my band. I can play how I want." I don't care. I want the song at the end of the day to turn out the best way it can. And so. It's, 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 it's a team. Yes. Um, let me talk about the, the new album, because there, ha- there has been a lot made, especially if you follow the, in- the wonderful internet, about the different sound, the different approach. Is that not what a band is supposed to do, though? Aren't you supposed to evolve? You look at the Madonnas and the U2s and some of those bands that have always done something different, and they're playing stadiums, so obviously they're doing something right. Um, is it great? Is it good that you evolved, or do you want to go back on the next album and go, "All right, we tried that. We got to go back to the Godsmack sound." Well, it's a, you know the proofs in the pudding. No matter what we think as a band, yeah, three number one singles in America. We've never had two in a row. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've had number one singles or whatever, but to get three in a row puts us in some small group. You know, so the way we see it, well, that's success. It worked. You know what I mean? And so you can't really argue with it. And uh, again, the ego thing, you know, at first, yeah, it hurt our egos that that our, our fearless leader who we, you know, followed for, you know, 20 years wanted to work with outside writers for the first time. But, you know, we always have been, you know, influenced by our, our idols. And, you know, one of the obviously Sully's biggest idols is Aerosmith. And they went through the whole thing where their career looked like it was stalling. They were all messed up. And right in Holly Knight, Diane Warren, Jim Valens. Yes, Fairburn. yes. Fairburn came in and got them their first huge re- reinvigorated the band's life and career. And they had also gone through a period, kind of like we did, in which you know they had trying to get off the sauce and drugs and partying and just focusing on the music and 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 not being posers in that. Uh, you know, we're getting older. We can't sit here and act like we're 20 year olds and we're pissed off and angry at the world and want to thrash. It's just not us. So if we do that to try and still sell records and keep our our old fans happy and not be afraid that they're going to say these guys are you know, sellouts or something, you know, uh, it, it ends up being a selfish decision in which we're like, look, we need to just keep. If we want to keep on doing this, in which we're having a great time, by the way. You know, we're finally, we're all for, like, you know, we have our our, our habitats and our families and, and our, our uh, routines in life now, you know, and we're all, like, happy we're not mad and angry and pissed off. And so it's going to reflect in our music. If, one, if someone wants to say to me, who played in Amen, that I'm getting soft in my old age, then so be it. Go and listen to Amen and see where I was at 20 years ago. 
you know, and, and you know, I think expanding your musical horizons is a way to to keep the longevity going. Because if you just do the same thing now, you know, ACDC is not going to agree with me. But generally, if you just do the same thing over and over and over again, at some point, the fans go, "All right, we've been there." Thanks. That's right. And and ACDC is a great example of that. But there's only a couple bands that are the exception to the rule. They are ACDC and Ramones. I mean, those both those bands had their own thing and they're legendary and they never changed and their fans loved them for that. But then you mentioned some greats like you too, who, yes. you know, they. It's always about finding the next new thing, and it might be selfish as a as a musician. But they had to say, you know, if they like it, they like it. Our fans, if they don't, they don't. You know, we are four people, we're individuals, and first and foremost, we are artists. And, you know, we can't just, like, try and change uh, for money or something. We all have money. We, you know, it's not about money. So people can't call us sellouts or something. You know, it's, it's all about the way, to me, it's about trying to be real. And I'm not going to be up there on stage when our opening band's in their 20s and I'm in my 50s. And they're heavier than us or something. So I got to go out and feel like I have to be as heavy as them or something. That'd be fake. It'd be me posing like in the opposite of what I called a poser in the 80s when I was into thrash and punk would be what I would be if I if I was trying to be heavy. See what I'm saying? It's it's this shoe on the other foot thing and it's all turned around now. Let me quickly talk because we're going to run out of time about being an artist, because with a band, which is a brand, which is what Godsmack is at this point. You can put your name on the marquee. You can go do the songs that were recorded 20 years ago. Fans are going to show up and they're going to have a great evening. How important is it for you as an artist to actually create new music and stay creative and not just go and do, here are our top 10, 15 songs and let's just play them again and again and we'll do them next year on something. You know, how important is it to you to create new music and keep that moving forward? Well, you know, it's it's very important to me. Uh, however, you know, Godsmack is Sully Erna's band, yep. and he pit, hand-picked each one of us, and he had the vision of what this band wanted, should sound like, should look like, what our stage show should be, you know, the direction we go. We make albums four years apart, so he always has time to see which which way he wants to take the band. And we follow him and trust him. It, look, it hasn't failed, right? No. So on the creative side and being an artist, that's why Tony and I, but on the side, when we have time off, we do a blues thing called the Apocalypse Blues Revival. It used to be called The Review. We got a new singer who is my drum tech in Godsmack for 17 years. And so, you know, we didn't go and Tony and I, being in Godsmack, we could easily went and looked for some famous singer, you know, to sell records you know we have Godsmack which is Sully's vision that we believe and follow and trust for 20 years and so you know it's that'd be a question really for him on how he feels about you know I do say that you know he he's a good leader he gives us you know our way in and we weigh in with look we have to I'd like to do something from even if it's one song we got to do something from Faceless because a lot of fans like that record and we do uh, but we are going really heavy on new music. You know, we have like six new songs, I think, in our set, which is a lot for a new record. And so we wait on, you know, our, our like if we think we're going to piss off old fans, then we got to put something on here from the four record or whatever. It is. But it's also one of those 
good problems to have. We have too many hits. We got to put, you know, it's like, oh, they didn't play uh, Straight Out of Line, which was a number one hit for 14 weeks in America. We, we had to drop it from the set because, well, you know, he wanted to put, Sully wanted to put some more new songs in there because he's so on fire on it. So as a creative outlet, that's a question for him. But personally, Shannon here, you know, I do something on the side, a side project. And... I've always done it. In Wrathchild, I had a punk rock side project. In Ugly Kid Joe, I had a rockabilly side project. When I first joined Godsmack, Tony and I started a funk project. And that's how we got Shane and the blues thing. Shane sang, my drum tech Shane, sang for our blues thing. He's got a great voice, but just was, was a tech, you know? And so, anyway, so creatively, Tony and I, that's how we do it, man, because we... we we follow and we believe in Sully and we and we obviously like what he's done musically or we wouldn't be in the band because we don't need to be, you know. We're in our 50s. We've, we've been successful for 20 years. We could quit today. And But, you know, we do love Godsmack. We have Godsmack pride and, and you know, it's not, it's not about money. It's just it's about trying to age gracefully in this business that we've been so lucky and blessed. And I'll ask you this uh, because we're running out of time, but we are at Heavy Montreal, and your next two shows are two other festivals coming up. How important are festivals to keeping the music scene alive? Is it just too much of a good thing, or are they essential to keeping the scene moving forward? It's definitely essential to keeping the scene moving forward. And, you know, it's like when we go to Europe, we see these festivals. Oh, my gosh. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's. It, it like makes it keeps rock and roll alive. I mean, it it really does, man. And and so, you know, these festivals. It, you know, I watched as America started leaning towards festivals, and thank God for Perry Farrell, Lollapalooza. You know, he grabbed that from Europe. That was yeah. where the ideas came from, and it changed the music scene in America. And right at the time that it needed to change, because the advent of, of streaming and downloading was coming and you know Perry Farrell didn't have he's not Nostradamus he, he couldn't have even probably uh, predicted what would happen in the music business but man was he a, 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 a mystical genius for, for, for bringing the festivals to America like in the way he did which mixed different genres of music from you know now you'd see Ice Cube a rap dude playing with butthole surfers you know what i mean and and so and that was a european thing you know they would uh, i remember when amen my oh, this here today we've got Gosmac, quiet riot steel panther you've got cataclysm it's, it's like sort of all yes all over the map yep and, and and that was a lot to do with europe european fans i mean my punk band amen that was as brutal as any punk band you'll ever hear would play to show a festival with aha was the headliner <laughs> You know, and that's real, you know what I mean? And Take so, on me. but so then it happened and, and Perry brought it to America. So with with the advent of the internet crushing music, like uh, uh, record sales, period, gone, right? The festivals, I feel, have kept, kept rock music alive because even as Godsmack, we're a band that's, you know, been successful at radio, but, it, you know, certain places we go, it, the, the people don't come out. But if we go to, like, for instance... Well, you were uh, in Italy recently, and there was, you were playing to a thousand seaters kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But even, like, in Madison, Wisconsin, for instance, we can go there. We're headlining a festival, mm-hmm. and, and it's, you know, 8,000, 10,000 people, whatever it is, 20,000, I don't know. 
But and if we go there ourselves, we'll probably draw three, four thousand people, maybe. You know what I mean? And so that's the festival keeps bands even that are successful alive, and gives us hope that you know the next thing can happen. I agree. And uh, with that, I'll say thank you because we we had twenty minutes, and I'm going to respect All that. Right. But thank you. Thank you. Cheers. I appreciate it. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFond. Rock Talk.